I think I said to uh, Mike Harris this morning that I could probably count on one hand the number of Sunday mornings that I have asked for a specific song to be sung. I always count on Brother Rick to pray and seek the Lord's will and kind of know what uh, book we're in and where we're headed and to just be led by the Holy Spirit to choose the songs. But this morning, or really as the week kind of wore on, uh, finally... A, uh, a sermon title came to mind. You know, one of the most difficult things about putting together uh, an outline and a message is coming up with a title that kind of captures the, the thought of what you're going to say as you present the Word of God. Matter of fact, I was taught in Bible college that if you couldn't come up with a title for your message, then you really didn't know what you were going to be talking about, at least not clearly enough. Uh, so I have really endeavored over the years... Uh, to, to come up with a title, and it was not until later this week or last week that, uh, that a title finally came to my mind, and uh, the title that I selected is The Greater God, uh, and as I, as I thought about that and as I began to kind of write an introduction, it dawned on me that we have a song I kept thinking of over those words, our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other, uh, and so yes, I asked uh, this morning. Uh, if we could do that song, I thought it captured very well uh, kind of the overall thrust of the message for this morning. Our God is greater. Yes. Yes. I believe that in this chapter 7, uh, Moses kind of comes to the point in his own life where he realizes this fully. Uh, you know, up until this point... Uh, Moses, though he has done uh, what God has asked him to do, he has done it somewhat hesitantly. He has complained somewhat. Uh, he has made excuses for his own inabilities, or at least his perceived inabilities, and, uh, and basically said to God on multiple occasions, look, you've got the wrong guy. Uh, I, I'm not the man for this job. I'm, I'm not the guy that you need to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Somebody's got to be better qualified than I am. Somebody's got to be better at public speaking than I am. Somebody's got to be more powerful than I am. And of course, God says exactly what we just sang in that song. He said, look, Moses, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be there. You don't have to worry about your power or your ability. I'm going to be there. And, and as far as this uh, weakness in your public speaking, he said, look, I'll, I'll send Aaron, your brother, with you. He's, he's got good public speaking skills. And he will speak for you before Pharaoh. And so there's this turning point that we're going to, to see. It's really subtle, and if you uh, are not reading carefully, you might just kind of overlook it. But what we're going to find is t twice. We're going we're to do the first 13 verses of chapter 7 this morning, relatively short passage of Scripture compared to many that we've looked at in our series and in those 13 verses, twice we're going to read that Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. Uh, for the remainder of the, of the book, uh, we're not going to read that Moses complained or offered excuses for his inability to fulfill his calling. Um, again, his fear uh, of Pharaoh seems to vanish. And uh, again... I guess we could say, as we sung, that Moses, at this point, was no longer a slave of fear. 
Uh, and, and what I would say to you this morning is, again, make these words that we have sung mean something in your life. Again, it's, it's wonderful to get up here and sing these songs of faith, uh, but more wonderful still uh, to allow these words to become the reality of your experience with the Lord. We need to realize, as Moses realized along the way, uh, that our God is indeed greater than any other. Uh, I think sometimes we, we fail to realize that. Uh, and as a result of that, we find ourselves fearful. Uh, we are afraid that we can't do what God has clearly called us to do. I mean, there was no doubt. I mean, it couldn't have been any clearer, right, what Moses was to do. I mean, he heard the voice of God coming from this burning bush. Uh, God made it absolutely clear exactly what Moses was being called upon to do. And yet Moses really struggled uh, in that calling for some time. And I believe the same thing is true for most Christians, for many Christians. Anyway, we, we struggle in the, our, the calling. Matter of fact, we may even deny any calling upon our lives. Uh, I guess I've heard countless testimonies of pastors and preachers who have experienced what they believe to be the call of God upon their life, and, uh, and they simply refused, at least in the beginning, to go and do what God had called them uh, to do. Uh, you know, I, I heard a testimony that I, I really appreciated years ago. Carlos McLeod, he's with the Lord now, but he was one time the director of evangelism for the Dallas uh, Baptist Association, and, and he shared a personal testimony of his life as a kid growing up on the farm, a, a cotton farm, uh, and how he had to do, uh, get up early every morning and go do the chores, and then as the day wore on, he would have to go out into the field, and he would have to hoe and uh, pull weeds and uh, ultimately pick cotton. And he said, you know, I wasn't one of these guys that, uh, that, uh, that rejected the call of God. He said, I was that young man standing out in the middle of the cotton field with my hands up saying, God, here I am, call me, call me. <laughs> I appreciate that testimony. But I think for many of us, there is a fear and that fear of being able to do what God has clearly called us to do is all wrapped up in this lack of faith that God is indeed greater than any other. And we just need to come to terms with that today. I believe somewhere along the line here, Moses has come to terms with that. Throughout the rest of this book, as he encounters Pharaoh time and again, we're not going to read of any complaint or any excuses being made about him not being able to do what God had called him to do. So this is what I would say as we kind of get into this this morning, is that I believe that it is impossible for Christians, for us, to truly serve the Lord wholeheartedly. That's, that's what God's called us to do, right? To serve him wholeheartedly, to be faithful. It's impossible for us to really do that, to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, until we realize, until we come to terms with, until we grasp, that there is nothing and no one greater than God. So if you don't go away with anything else today, go away with that. All right, stand with me if you would. Let's read uh, chapter 7, the first 13 verses. And of course, these verses come right on the heels of that last portion of chapter 6. I'm going to go ahead and read it. I guess we'll start in verse 28 of chapter 6 because that's the last time we're going to hear Moses say anything like this. And anyway, verse 28, chapter 6 says, And on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Again, that's what God was hoping was, was speaking to Moses' heart. He wanted him to realize, I'm Yahweh. 
Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But, verse 30, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And here's God's response, beginning in verse 7, or verse 1 of chapter 7. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And as a matter of fact, the literal translation of that is, See, I have made you God. To Pharaoh, There's no like in there in the, in the Hebrew. Uh, I have made you God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. It's the second time we've seen that. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff. And they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful today for these words and I pray that they would be words of encouragement to us. I pray that like Moses, we too would just come to the end of our excuses. And that we would simply realize, Father, that you are the great God There is none greater, and it is you who have called us. And Lord, you don't make mistakes, and so if you have called us, and and I believe every born-again believer in this room, every born-again Christian that can hear my voice, has a calling up on their lives. They may not be called to pastor a church or to preach from a pulpit or to travel and serve as a missionary around the world, but they have nonetheless been called to exercise faith in you and to utilize the gifts that you have given them, whatever those gifts may be, for your honor and glory. So Lord, I pray that today you would speak to our hearts, and I pray that each one in this room would determine, Lord, to do what you have called them to do, that we would serve you faithfully, believing, Father, uh, that there is nothing and no one greater than you. We ask all of these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We've seen <clears throat> throughout this series, and really in, in multiple other series and messages that we've preached from this pulpit, that, that God is at work in the world. God has always been at work, right? We, we typically say it like this, that God has a plan. We, we'll even personalize it sometimes. We'll say God has a plan for each individual. And I, I believe that all those things are true. And so what we see coming about in this series of messages is God's plan of redemption. God has said, I'm going to deliver my people. And let me tell you, he's going to deliver his people. 
and I hope that you realize, I know that you do, that God delivering his people is not something that simply took place thousands of years ago in Egypt. God continues to deliver his people right up to this very moment. Every time we have a service and you see boys and girls, men and women baptized, what you are witnessing is God continuing in this plan to deliver his people. Uh, and, and that ought to excite us and it ought to encourage us. I think sometimes we look back at the circumstances of the Exodus and of course all the miraculous things that God was doing and we compare that somehow to the day in which we live when there seems to be somehow a shortage of what we would consider miracles or great moves of God. I, I, I suppose you've heard, right, about the, uh, the, the, the revival that's taking place at the Asbury College uh, and how it's beginning to spread beyond the bounds of that college to other ministries, to other schools and places. And we can only hope that perhaps this will be another time in history when God does a great work across our land and throughout the world. Who knows what God may do? But the important thing for us to know is this, that God is at work. God's intervention to deliver his people is not something that just happened once in history or even intermittently throughout history. It has been a continual thing from the beginning. Uh, God delivering his people. And again, we just simply need to, to believe that. What we're seeing here is God's plan. And, and again, God's plan, because he's God, is always the greater plan, right? You know, the reality is, I think all of us would say, we have plans, Right? You may have plans, immediate plans, plans, uh, things that you need to get accomplished even this week. Maybe you've got plans for later on in the year or for the, the years to come. But understand this, as wonderful as your plan may be, God's plan is always greater. God's plan is always better. God said to Moses, See, I have made you like God, or I have made you God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of the land. Uh, the fulfillment of God's plan has always involved the proclamation of God's word. Okay? That's why it's so important that we know God's word. That's why it's so important that we do what we do every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night and every time we gather together as a people. We gather together around the word of God. You shall speak all that I command you. And here's the thing. As God accomplishes his plan in the world, he always uses human instruments to do it. He's always used human instruments. Again, he's always used people like Moses and Aaron. Always. That's what God does. And again, God is still doing that today. And God, God desires, I believe, to use you as an instrument of his grace in the world, in your family, in this church. And I believe in order to truly be used of God, we have to have a, a grasp of God's word. We have to be able to share God's word. Perhaps we don't consider ourselves preachers or evangelists, but let me tell you, I believe every Christian ought to be able to share the word of God. We ought to be able to share with somebody how to be saved, what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. We ought to be able to talk about these great stories of deliverance, whether we're talking about Exodus or, or, or what God did in the life of King David. Uh, we ought to be able to share those stories. We ought to know God's Word. It's God's Word 
that's really powerful. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we get it in our mind that, and, and I, I think the Bible's made it really clear, even though Moses became revered. I mean, uh, the Bible says there's no, no man any greater than, than him, of course. And, and, and nothing wrong, I think, with thinking that on a human level. But, but the reality is, as we've said from the beginning of this series, God is the hero of this story, not Moses. And, and the, the scripture has made it pretty clear that, that Moses really struggled, at least in these early days, of, of answering God's call upon his life. But what God did for Moses is the same thing he does for us. He gave Moses his word. He said, Moses, this is what I want you to say. This is what you will say to Pharaoh. And of course, we have the word in a, <laughs> a far more accessible version than Moses did. All right? We hold the word of God in our hands this morning. And uh, we need to understand the power that we hold when we hold the word of God in our hands. And I'm not talking about magical power. We're going to talk a little bit about magic as we get down toward the end of this passage of Scripture. But I'm just talking about power. God's word is powerful. The, the prophet Isaiah said it this way. He said, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Do you know anything else that's going to stand forever? I mean, the Word of God is going to stand forever. Most of the things that we set our hearts upon or, or grasp with our hands, so temporary, it's, it's just ridiculous almost. But the Word of God, powerful, it'll stand forever. Paul said it this way to the Romans. He said, I, I'm eager to preach the gospel. He called the Word of God the gospel. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believe. So Paul saw the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ as being the power of God for all who believe. You and I ought to be able to share the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is nothing that you and I possess more powerful than the Word of God. And again, we need to, <clears throat> we need to embrace that. Uh, we need to come to terms with that. It is easy as the pastor of a church to get sidetracked. And, I, and, and again, if there's a prayer that you could pray every now and then, I'll have people ask me, what, what can we pray for you, Brother James? What is it that you'd like us to pray for? Pray that I would always, every day, realize, remember, that it is the Word of God that is the power of God unto salvation. It's not me. It's not my preaching ability. It's not the programs that, that we conduct as a church or the services. It is the Word of God. If we are faithful to God's Word, if I am faithful to God's Word, then I have done what God has called me to do. God called Moses, say what I tell you to say. And of course... Uh, at this point, both he and Aaron did exactly that. They did just as the Lord commanded. And let me just address this thing about Moses would be like God to Pharaoh. We've already seen that language a little earlier in our, in our text or in our series. Uh, God said that Moses would be like God to Aaron. And again, what, what he's talking about here is that Moses would proclaim God's word to Pharaoh. And in that sense, he would be God to Pharaoh. He would speak 
truth, authoritative truth to power. That's a, that's a phrase that we hear a lot these days, right? Speaking truth to power. And there's not, that's a biblical concept. Moses was going to speak truth to power. He was going to speak the word of God to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that point. So in that sense, Moses would be God to Pharaoh. And of course, Aaron would be like Moses' prophet. Because inevitably, or what would ultimately happen is that God would say to Moses, this is what you are to say to Pharaoh. And then Moses would turn and say to Aaron, now Aaron, this is what God says we're to say to Pharaoh. And then Aaron would actually speak <clears throat> the words to Pharaoh. So speaking, by speaking to Moses, or to Pharaoh, through Aaron, Pharaoh would understand that what Moses was doing was claiming divine authority. Not, not personal authority. Moses wasn't claiming to be God, but he was claiming to speak as God. And again, we've said that before about the gospel. The reason that you and I can go out into the world and say without shame, without hesitation, that Jesus Christ alone saves is because we speak with the authority of God's word. It's God that said that. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Now that's a controversial issue in our day. You go out into the public and you tell people that there's only one way to be saved. It's not through your good works. It's not through your service to your country. It's not through uh, joining a church or being baptized or praying a prayer. It's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We can say that because that's what God says. We're saying, in essence, what God has told us to say. So we speak with divine authority when we speak the words of God. In that sense, God had made Moses like God to Pharaoh. He was speaking God's word with divine authority. And here's the thing. What's interesting about this is that Moses would speak to Aaron. Aaron would, in turn, speak to Pharaoh. And that simple process there, that's exactly what Pharaoh would do. Pharaoh, when he issued a decree or a command, he wouldn't go stand on some perch at his palace and gather the, the Egyptians so everybody could hear what he had to say. No, he would tell somebody, go relay this message to the people. I'm God, Pharaoh would think to himself. And I'm telling you what to go tell the people. And of course, they would go and do it. So hearing or seeing this process of Moses speaking to Aaron, who in turn would deliver the message of God to Pharaoh, well, Pharaoh understood that. And he knew that Moses was claiming divine authority. And of course, to back up his claim of authority, God was going to give, and, or did give, Moses the ability uh, to perform signs and wonders, all right? Go and speak what I've commanded you. Tell your brother Aaron. He'll tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. But I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. We've already talked about that. God was going to demonstrate over a period of time his greatness, the fact that he was indeed a greater God than the gods of Egypt. And we'll get into all that as we get into the plagues about how each plague represented uh, a particular God of Egypt. And then he said this, and though I multiply my signs and wonders, again, referring to these very plagues and miracles, but though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then, God said, I'm going to lay my hand on Egypt, 
bring my host. Interesting choice of words there. Uh, he could have just said, I'm going to bring my people out. But he refers to them as hosts. It's, it's this indication that Israel wasn't just going to bolt and run for the border. All right? They were going to march out of Egypt. And that's exactly what we're going to see happen. I mean, when the time comes, uh, Israel assembles uh, and orderly, in, in an orderly fashion, makes its way out of, of Egypt. Uh, really a miraculous thing in and of itself. We don't often talk about the miracle of how Israel exited Egypt, but <laughs> it's a miracle the way that it all came together. So I'm going to multiply these signs, but Pharaoh is not going to to listen nonetheless. And of course, these signs and wonders, as I said, would include the 10 plagues. We've just, we're just about to get to that. It would include the parting <clears throat> of the Red Sea. <clears throat> but the miracle, again, that God emphasizes here is that miracle that I mentioned. I will bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. And so I'm just going to make this observation. You can think about it. You may agree or disagree. I believe greater than any miracle that God would perform before Pharaoh, at least what we would recognize as a miracle, what Pharaoh would recognize as a miracle, the greater miracle would simply be the deliverance of God's people. Pharaoh was the most powerful man, again, and he considered himself much more than a man. He considered himself to be divine, to be God in the flesh. God, the God of Israel, was going to accomplish the miracle of salvation. And I, again, I, I want you to, to, again, grasp that truth today. There is no greater miracle than the miracle of salvation. And again, whether we're talking about the exodus of millions of Israelites from Egypt, or whether we're talking about one six-year-old kid who gets saved after memorizing John 3.16 up in Awana. Greatest miracle you'll ever see. I, I've talked to people over the years, and I've shared this from the pulpit. I, it's not an uncommon thing for somebody to, to, to say this or certainly to think thoughts like this. You know, I, I believe I could really get on board with this God being the greatest thing out there if, if, if he would just show me a miracle. You ever heard somebody say that? You know, God, show me a miracle. We see it from time to time. We hear it from time to time. Let me tell you, God's, God's showing us miracles all the time. Every time we see someone baptized, every time we see someone born again, we're, we're seeing a, a miracle, a great miracle. In this first demonstration, and we haven't gotten to it yet, but before the ten plagues, there's a demonstration that we read about in this first part of chapter 7. And in this first demonstration before Pharaoh, God would turn a staff into a snake, right? We've already seen that. But I contend that God does a far greater work today when he turns a sinner into a saint. I mean, I think some people think turning a, a staff into a snake, pretty impressive. But turning a sinner into a saint, that's a far greater miracle. And again, only our great God can do that. There's no greater miracle than the miracle of salvation. There's no greater wonder than a person who was once dead in trespasses and sin, now fully alive in Christ Jesus. So you know what that means? If you're a believer today, if you're a Christian, it means there's no greater wonder on the earth than you. But we have a hard time believing such things, don't we? 
There's no greater God than our God. And there's no greater miracle than the miracle of salvation. No greater wonder than the wonder that God is displaying through us as he takes a sinner and turns him into a saint. God's plan has always been and still is to deliver his people. And as we've said, God is not going to fail in his plan. Second thing we see here is really God's purpose for all of this. All right. I think we get a a peek at it here. He says, I'll multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh won't listen to you, but then I'm going to lay my hand on Egypt. I'm going to bring the hosts of my people, the people of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And then look at verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Don't miss that. God's purpose is not simply to deliver the Hebrews from Egyptian slavery. He also desired that Pharaoh and all the Egyptians would recognize him as greater than all the gods of Egypt, than any god. And that's what God's doing today, all right? Let me tell you, in this world in which we live, there is a multitude of gods that people worship. And you might be thinking about some remote place out in some jungle or temple built out in the middle of nowhere. I'm telling you, right here in the United States of America, people worship every god in the world. The god of wealth, the God of fame, the God of beauty. No greater God than the God of Israel, than our God. And he wants us, really the whole world. And by the way, one day the whole world will recognize this, right? I mean, we know that. Yes. Through the prophet Isaiah, God said, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Wow. God makes it very clear all the way back in the Old Testament. I'm God. There is no other God. I'm the only one that can truly save. So turn to me. For I'm God. There is no other. By myself I have sworn. Remember God, when he swears an oath, he swears by himself because there's nobody higher than him that he can swear by. I've sworn by myself I have sworn. By my, uh, and from my mouth has gone out a word that will not return. In other words, when I speak, what I say will indeed come to pass. And this is the word that will not return. This is the word that will come to pass. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. That was a prophet Isaiah that said that. We typically think of Paul making such a claim. And of course he cites this verse in Romans 14, 11, And he says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Again, Paul is quoting the prophet Isaiah. You see how important it is for us to know the word of God? If we're going to proclaim the word of God, if we're going to speak the truth to power, we need to know what God's word says. Paul knew what the prophet Isaiah had said. And then he makes the point even clearer in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, when he declares this. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before we are finished, Pharaoh is going to acknowledge that the God of the Hebrews is indeed God. But he's not going to put his faith and trust in God. He's not going to submit to him. 
And the reality is that people all over the world reject Jesus Christ right now as God's Savior, as, as their Lord. But one day when Christ returns, it's going to become clear to everyone throughout all time who the King of kings and Lord of lords is. And everyone is going to bow the knee and everyone is going to confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will do it out of love and commitment to their great God and King. And some will do it simply because there will be no other option for them. God would very soon say these words to Pharaoh. This is over in chapter 9, verse 16. He said, For this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, God didn't only want Pharaoh and the Egyptians to realize that he was God, but he wanted his name proclaimed throughout all the earth. And that's exactly what's happening right now. God's name is being proclaimed in all the earth. God never fails to accomplish his purpose. So the will of God in all of this was that the Egyptians would know that I'm God and that his name would be proclaimed throughout all the earth. And of course, his witnesses were Moses and Aaron. We've already made that clear. And the fact that they were doing just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses and Aaron said what God told them to say, and they did what God told them to do. Now, I think sometimes we try to make the Christian life way too complicated. But we can boil down the Christian life to those two principles. Say what God tells you to say. Do what God tells you to do. Pretty simple. Say what God tells you to say. Do what God tells you to do. And when I say simple, I mean it's a simple concept to understand. Pretty difficult to do, isn't it? We have to know the Word of God in order to say the Word of God. In order to know the Word of God, in order to say the Word of God, requires some effort on our part. Some strenuous effort, some study, some memorization. Some reading, some time, time taken away from other things that we might find more enjoyable, or at least we think. But we need to be a people who can say what God tells us to say. And then, of course, as we say it to others, we back up our belief in what we're saying by doing it. We become doers of the word and not simply hearers. That's what James would say. So Moses and Aaron are at that place. They're saying what God told them to say. They're doing exactly what God had told them to do. They are standing before Pharaoh, speaking truth to power. They are proclaiming the word of God. And I also want you to notice, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but notice verse 7. Why in the world would, would, would God include this? Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. I believe just another indication <clears throat> that these weren't two good-looking powerful men standing before Pharaoh, demanding his attention by their sheer presence. These were two old dudes doing the best they could. When do we come to the end of doing what God has called us to do? Not until God calls us home. Now, that doesn't mean that your age and your physical health might not change the way that you go about serving the Lord. Certainly it will. But we're going to serve the Lord till we die or till Jesus comes. That's the idea here. I believe Moses and Aaron were 80 and 83 years old. They did not let their age. Not, not one time did Moses ever say, wait a minute, God, 
Don't you know I'm 80 years old? I've served you out here in the, the wilderness for 40 years. I've done my thing. Surely you won't ask any more of me than that. But that seems to be the attitude of a lot of human beings. We come to the point where we think we've done all that should be required of us. The reality is, church, as your body ages, the Bible says that your spirit becomes stronger and stronger. I would contend that the church needs its senior saints more than ever. There should be a wisdom about you that becomes increasingly valuable to the church over the years of your life. And again, though you may not be physically able to do what you were once able to do, you should be far stronger spiritually than you were at the beginning. So God's purpose, which he would not fail in accomplishing, was being accomplished as his witnesses stood before Pharaoh and made it clear what his will was. The Egyptians are going to know that I'm the Lord and I'm going to deliver my people. And of course he was going to do all this, as we've said, by his power. That's what all of this is about, the power of God. God is greater than any other God, than any God of Egypt. And again, Egypt was loaded with gods. Loaded. Wasn't just Pharaoh who was considered a god. <clears throat> again, there was a multitude of gods that the Egyptians Worshipped. And this little demonstration here at the end, again, though it's not one of the official ten plagues, it was the, it was the first demonstration of God's power before Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you say to Aaron, take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff. And they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Back in Exodus chapter 4 verse 21, God told Moses, he said, do all, again, the, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, do all that I have put in your power to do. And I'm going to stand here before you today and I'm going to say this to you, church. Do all that God has put in your power to do. Whatever it is, do all that God has put in your power to do. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't make excuses. Don't be afraid. Do all that God has put in your power to do. I mean, think about this. We're all familiar with the term magic wand. Aaron had his wand that day, the staff of God. And he was supposed to throw it down on the ground when he got in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, hey, prove to me that you're who you say you are. Prove to me that this God of yours really exists. Prove it. Well, Aaron said, all right, and he threw down his stick. And by the power of God, and I want to emphasize that, by the power of God, it became a snake. Now, Pharaoh called his magicians, right, his wise men, his sorcerers. And the Bible says that they threw down their sticks, and they became snakes. But they did it not by the power of God, but by their secret arts. Magic was a big thing in, in Egypt. 
Uh, again, it was viewed as being from the gods, the ability, abilities from the gods. And the fact that these sticks, these wands, became snakes is significant too. Uh, perhaps the most powerful god in Egypt at this time was the snake god, the cobra. As a matter of fact, as Pharaoh watched this demonstration, he was probably wearing a crown on his head that had the symbol of the cobra right there in the front. It, it symbolized or represented his power, his divinity, his authority over the people. So again, what this demonstration was and what all the plagues will be is a direct assault upon the gods of Israel. God, the true God of Egypt, I mean of Israel, is going to demonstrate that he's greater than the gods. Of Egypt. So they throw the stick down, the staff down, it becomes a snake. The Egyptian magicians do the same thing by their secret arts. It was a real common thing. And matter of fact, it goes on today. Snake charmers. We've heard of it, we've seen it. One of the things that, that these snake charmers are able to do, and typically it's cobras that they work with, they're able to take hold of those cobras. And so I'm told and I've read, if they can press on that cobra's neck at just the right points, it paralyzes the cobra. And it becomes like a stick. In other words, these, these kind of things are going on to this very day. If you travel over in these parts of the world, you can see men who will do this. They'll pick up what appears to be a stick, but when in reality, it's a cobra that has been paralyzed, and they'll toss that apparent stick down on the ground, and all of a sudden, it'll start crawling. Magic arts. They're secret arts. I don't know how to paralyze a cobra, and I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but evidently, that's something that happened then. It happens today. So the Egyptians were turning snakes into sticks, and God was turning sticks into snakes. And again, God demonstrating that he was much more powerful. God's snake swallowed up the snakes of the Egyptians. He was greater than any Egyptian god. He's greater than any god, period. But still, the Bible says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He wouldn't listen to them as the Lord said. In other words, God had already told Moses and Aaron. He prepared them. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. I'm going to harden his heart. He's not going to listen to you. But then I'm going to do a multitude of signs and wonders. I'm going I'm to pour out my mighty judgment upon the Pharaoh and Egypt. God was doing things his way. He always does. So why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? I believe the best answer is found in Romans chapter 9, verses 22 through 24. And this is what Paul said. He said, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath. I believe Pharaoh was a vessel of wrath. He was not going to receive God. He was not going to believe upon God. He was not going to submit to God. He demonstrated by his hardness of heart to the bitter end that he was a vessel of wrath, prepared for destruction, Paul says. God does this in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. Now the vessels of mercy are those who would believe God, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. And then Paul says this, even us. God hardened Pharaoh's heart as a demonstration of his power, not only to Pharaoh, 
but also of a demonstration of his grace to us. Paul says, whom he has called, us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. God was at work demonstrating who he was, powerful, sovereign, the judge of all the universe, the judge of the living and the dead, but also revealing his grace and his mercy for all who would one day believe his word. And what I would say is this, God continues to demonstrate his power right up to this very moment to save his people. God's saving his people, is he not? I mean, every day all around the world, people hear the word of God. We have a missionary in the Czech Republic. We send support and often people into to Mexico. Uh, we support the Far East Broadcasting Company that, that proclaims the gospel in areas that I couldn't even begin to list for you today, where there is no gospel witness. The word of God is going out throughout the world, and every day people around the world hear that word of God, repent of their sin, and receive Christ as Savior and Lord. That's what God's doing right now. And he's doing it through the means of you and me and this little church in Mesquite, Texas. God's at work. Jesus said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So just like Paul said, God patiently goes about his business of building his church each and every day, making known the riches of his glory for all who have eyes to see. So this is what I would ask you. Again, evidence upon evidence. Wonder upon wonder, sign upon sign, miracle upon miracle are going to be stacked up as proof to Pharaoh that God is indeed the one and only true God. But he's not going to believe the evidence that's right before his eyes. As a matter of fact, as we continue through the book of Exodus, we're going to find out that after witnessing all those miracles, even some of the Israelites refused to believe question, though, for us is this. What more evidence do you need to believe that God is who he says he is? What more evidence do you need that God is with you and for you? What more evidence do you need to do what God called you to do, to say what God called you to say? What more evidence do you need?